Hello there, everybody. This is Glenn. And this is Linda Dawson, and you're listening to Preparing Our Hearts for Worship podcast. It's good to have you all here with us. We're bringing you the stories and histories of the old songs we grew up singing in our churches. And this week, we're looking at Standing on the Promises of God. Standing on the Promises of Christ my King. Through eternal ages, let his praises ring. Glory in the highest, I will shout and sing, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail. When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail, by the living word of God I shall prevail, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord, bound to him eternally by love's strong cord, overcoming daily with the Spirit's sword, standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall, listening every moment to the Spirit's call, resting on my Savior as my all in all, standing on the promises of God. The writer of Standing on the Promises of God is Russell Carter, who was born November 18, 1849, in Baltimore, Maryland. He was brought up in a strong Christian environment. He struggled with a personal decision for Christ until he was 15. At that time, he attended a prayer meeting of his military academy and committed his life to God in the Presbyterian Church, which his parents attended. He went to meetings and grew sporadically over the next few years. He graduated from the Pennsylvania Military Academy in 1867 and became an instructor there in 1869. He was commissioned as a captain in the Pennsylvania State Line and appointed adjutant to the Military Academy by Governor Geary. He was often referred to as Captain Carter in his writings. Carter was a professor at the Academy of Chemistry and Natural Sciences. While teaching in 1872, he began to have heart trouble. In 1876, he went to California for three years as a sheep rancher to try to straighten out his health. In 1879, he was back at his parents' house in a state of collapse. He had heard of a ministry of Charles Cullis in Boston, and decided to try healing by faith. He prayed to God would heal him, and then he took a trip to see cause. He was healed, and when he returned three days later, he went back to work at the military academy and became professor of civil engineering and advanced mathematics. By the end of 1879, Carter was looking for more of the presence of God. He started to attend Methodist meetings. He struggled with their emphasis on the sanctification experience, but prayed about it and asked God to give him everything from the Bible. He had an experience which filled him with the Spirit in a new way. He allied himself with the Methodist. In 1880, he wrote Miracles of Healing. In 1882, he revamped the book published in England called Pastor Bumhart. Also in 1882, Carter with a man named George McCullis, called for the convention to cover the subject of divine healing. 
They held a meeting, but just a few people came. In 1884, he wrote a book called The Atonement for Sin and Sickness. His premise was that healing was an atonement and that Jesus not only took our sins, but our sickness on the cross. Carter was one of the strongest proponents of atonement theology. In 1886, he began publishing a periodical called The Kingdom. He had a strong musical ability and wrote hymns in Promises of Perfect Love with John Sweeney in 1886 and Hymns of the Christian Life in 1891. One of his most famous songs is Standing on the Promises. In 1887, Carter had become associated with the Methodist Episcopal Church and was given a license to preach by Bishop Floss. He is sometimes referred to as the evangelist Kelso Carter in newspaper articles of 1890. He also seems to have had a nervous breakdown, which he refers to as a brain prostration. Dr. Cullis prayed for him, but he did not receive any significant relief until he attended camp meeting in Mountain Lake Park, Maryland, in July of 1887. In 1888, Carter had an attack of malaria fever. He was sick for two weeks and recovered. However, he was left feeling chronically weak. He was eventually prayed for by Charles Cullis, A.B. Simpson, and John Dowie, but did not improve. He initially took some medicine, but discarded it within a short time. He committed to seek healing through prayer alone, but continued to struggle. Carter was also under marital pressure, as his wife Josephine was possibly mentally ill. In 1889, he was ordained as a deacon in the Methodist Episcopal Church by Bishop Bowman. The Methodist Episcopal Church was opposed to the teaching that healing was in the atonement. In the summer of 1892, Carter made some very major changes in his life. He went to California, ostensibly for health leaving his family back east in Maryland. Things became difficult, however, when he filed for divorce from his wife. That would have been viewed as scandalous at the time. His relationship with people he'd been closely associated with for almost 20 years was shattered. He ended up breaking with the Alliance and their teaching on divine healing, specifically on the stance of no help from physicians. He seemed to swing widely in the other direction. Carter became connected with a couple of quack patent medical devices. These machines were so bogus that they were one of the first products taken to court for mail fraud by the United States Postal Service, which eventually won its case against the manufacturers. When we know God's promise to us, we will never be afraid of what will happen in our life. Most of the time, trusting Him is more effective than trusting others. Sometimes He puts us in a situation where we will have to decide to step out of our comfort zone and take the risk with Him. God chose to heal him, and Carter lived with a healthy heart for another 49 years, though he would later suffer from other health issues from which God did not choose to heal him. In the end, Carter came to the conclusion 
that healing was God's choice to make and that God also chose the instruments through which the healing, if granted, would come. His hymn was a personal testimony to his faith. Carter changed his theology from healing is in the atonement to healing by faith in this age is a matter of special favor from God and is always peculiarly under the guidance and leading of the Holy Spirit. He was remarried around 1895 to a woman named Elizabeth. In 1897, he wrote a book called Faith Healing Reviewed After 20 Years, where he reviewed his own experience, along with others, to take another look at the prayer of faith. Carter's proposition was that he was not healed because God didn't want it. The book attempted to address the common question, why are people not healed when they sincerely believe and put themselves in God's hands? He did not suggest that prayer was never effective. In fact, he gave several positive examples of healing experiences. He did, however, point out that only a small percentage of people were healed in answer to prayer, and it was important to bring that issue out for discussion. Many people in the divine healing movement saw the book as a repudiation of their sincerest beliefs. Since the book addressed healing prayer under John Dowie in a less than positive light, Dowie made a point to denounce Carter's personal life in his Leaves of Healing magazine and suggest that Carter's lack of healing was due to personal sin. In 1898, Carter became very ill again and was diagnosed with consumption, we know as tuberculosis. Bacteria had recently been identified as the medical cause, and a new treatment became available about the time Carter was diagnosed. He was healed through medical means within 90 days. What had been a potential death sentence was relieved by medical breakthrough. Carter declared that God worked through the medicine just as surely as though prayer. He said that both were critically necessary. Carter and his wife returned to Baltimore area sometime in the late 1890s. Carter eventually received medical training in the Baltimore area and is listed as a physician in the 1900 federal census. Carter continued his work as a doctor until he died on August the 23rd, 1928, in Cottonsville, Maryland. He was buried in the Greenmount Cemetery in Baltimore, Maryland. Standing on the promises of God will save us from all distress that comes into our life. His words will always remind us to trust and be more faithful to Him. We may be clueless sometimes, but trust me, God is in control. He has taught us how to be strong enough to face every struggle which comes into our lives. Thus, no one is exempted in facing difficulties or struggles in life. But there is someone who promised to stay in our lives. Do you know who he is? He is no other than our almighty God. He has saved us from all distress, loved us beyond our flaws, and protected us from harm that surrounds us. He is indeed the perfect father for us. God's unconditional love remains 
even if sometimes we fail with our promise to him. Indeed, no one can ever beat the love and sacrifice he gave us. When God makes a promise, you know it's for real and is solid and factual. He has written down his promises to us in his word. Have you read them? How wonderful his words are. There is nothing like it. It is perfect as he is perfect. Because God wants us to know him, he chose to reveal aspects of himself and his nature through the Holy Scripture, his law. Generally, when we think of God's law, what often comes to mind are the Ten Commandments he gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. But in Psalms 19.7, the terms law and testimony collectively refer to the whole body of Scripture, God's entire revelation of himself and instruction to his people. The psalmist declares God's law is perfect because its author is infinitely pure and flawless, God. It is also perfect in the sense that it's complete, nothing lacking. Everything we need to know to experience salvation and eternal life and to live in a way that pleases our Father. He has communicated to us in his word in 2 Timothy 3.15 and in 2 Peter 1.3 and also Psalms 1.1-3. To those outside of the family, his perfect word is both necessary and sufficient for reviving the soul. See Psalms 19.7. And in John 3, Jesus explains to Nicodemus that unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. As water is used for cleansing, the Spirit of God uses the water of the Word of God. Ephesians 5.26 To reveal our need for Savior to cleanse us of our sins and redeem us unto himself, that we might be fit to enter the kingdom. To those already redeemed, God's word is our compass for life that faithfully and continually registers true. God's word is trustworthy because it is spoken by a God who cannot lie. Numbers 23:19 says, God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man, that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? We can confidently trust that what God tells us in his word and depend on it for writing our direction when we wander and lose our way. Father God's perfect word carries the promise of blessing. If we observe and obey, and not only during our lifetime, but for all generations to follow. Deuteronomy 12:28 says, Be careful to obey all the words that I have commanded you, that it may go well with you and with your children after you forever. When you do, not, when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God, everything we need to know to live a wise and godly life here and live forever with him in glory is found in his word. Therefore, let's seek to adore God more deeply and come to know him fully by feasting 
on the riches of his perfect word. Lord, your word is described in terms of its perfection, purity, and eternity. It is perfect. It is so complete that nothing can be added to it or taken from it. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul, Psalms 19.7. Whatever I command you, be careful to observe it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it, Deuteronomy 12.32. I am blessed to hold your word in my hands and to read it, allowing me to come to know you and your Son, Jesus Christ, intimately as my God and Savior. Scripture is pure. It's without defect and error. The words of the Lord are pure words like silver, tried in the furnace, and earth, purified seven times. Psalms 12:6. Your word is pure, that it reflects your beautiful character and raises me to heights. I can hardly describe as I read it every day. Help me hold its truths dear and keep me hungry and thirsty, for it I may continue to grow in grace and knowledge of you. Your word is eternal and unforgettable. Scripture tells me your word is immutable, which means, like you, it doesn't change. It is eternal in this, that it cannot pass away until everything its commands has been fully accomplished. Matthew 5.18 What a most blessed thought, that your word stands forever in its purity and clarity to glide to guide me in the paths of your truth and your will so we can depend on the work of god if god says it i believe it and that settles it i pray you know you're the savior and you've trusted in his word if not you can do it right now What's preventing you from doing that right now? When you die, do you absolutely know that you'll immediately be in the presence of God? You can know that for sure, that your name is written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, and you belong to Him. Now, Glenn, play Standing on the Promises on the Tenor Sax. Okay, Linda, I'll do that. Thank you. 
We absolutely love it when you visit with us on our podcast. And it's always so good to hear from old friends and new friends, too. We enjoy sharing stories and history about the old-time hymns, the authors and events related to the writing or their songs. We hope you've been informed and thoroughly enjoyed yourselves. Our music has been distributed to many places on the web, and you can hear it absolutely free by searching the web for the music of Glenn Dawson. It's our gift to you, our friends. Hey, go over to YouTube and search for us. When you get there, punch the like button and the subscribe button. You can help us there, and we'd appreciate that so much. We need 4,000 watch hours in 12 months and 1,000 subscribers. This will help us get our channel going. Our program is a part of the Glenn Dawson Evangelistic Association, and we're a nonprofit organization dedicated to sharing Jesus with everyone. We enjoy hearing from you, and you can write us on the platform that you're hearing us on, or you can go over to our webpage at glendawsonea.com. That's Glenn Dawson, G-L-E-N-N-D-A-W-S-O-N-E-A.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week on Preparing Our Hearts for Worship. God, God be, be with, with you, you, and goodbye for now. now.